Welcome to Heart of the Enneagram. I'm Chris Copeland. And I'm Sandra Smith. And we invite you to take a courageous and loving look at what is. My piece is actually right here. It's not... It's not in a distant future. It's not on a a hill where the grass is greener. It's in this moment, which actually is a moment that might be filled with pain. Chris, here we are at Wake Forest again. Yes, Andrew, good to be with you as we uh, hear from two people who are seven and a one in relationship. Yeah, that connecting line. It'll be fun to hear what they have to say about themselves and each other. Yes. So we're excited to have Dixon Kinzer, who leads with type seven, and Sarah Archie Graves, who leads with type one, as our guests today. Uh, Sarah is the Associate Rector uh, at St. Paul's Episcopal Church here in Winston-Salem, working in the areas of adult education and newcomers. She's lived in North Carolina for most of her life, but here in Winston for just the past three years. She is a one on the Enneagram and feels most connected to her type when she's out in nature, hiking with her dog or gardening, appreciating the goodness of the created world. (laughs) Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And Dixon, who leads with seven, is the husband of Kristen and father of Aiden and Quinn. He reads everything from academic theology to comic books, loves live music, exercising, and making short films. He makes his living as an Episcopal priest and is constantly looking for the sacramental connection between the kingdom of God and pop culture, often bringing the two together in his teaching, writing, and preaching. And he likes to strum the guitar. And he and Sarah have worked together at St. Paul's for three years. So as we begin uh, to hear from Dixon and from Sarah, I invite our listeners to uh, take a moment to access our three brains, those three centers of intelligence. So if we will ground our body, that maybe putting our feet on the floor will help that. Um, Come to a place of open-heartedness. And then approach this material with a curious mind. And I want to invite the little seven and the little one that's in each one of us uh, to listen in. So let's take a deep breath. Enneagram type one is in the body triad, which leads with gut instinct. This is a fairness oriented triad and also a self forgetting triad. And ones tend to forget themselves to the rules and responsibilities. The motivation for this type is to improve, to make things better. Their focus of attention goes toward that which needs to be improved or where there is disorder or error. The reactivity can be around mistakes or criticism. And the core fear is to be seen or known as inherently wrong. Some of the many strengths of this type include... Um, high standards, an ethical approach. They're very interested in best practice. In the workplace setting, they're known as practical types who can see the big picture and chunk it down into doable parts. They're also quite diplomatic and appropriate when working with folks. 
For type sevens, the lead center of intelligence is the head center, and this is the information center types. Uh, their motivation is to be stimulated. They love stimulation. Their focus of attention is pleasant options or, or pleasant possibilities. Um, their fear then is being limited or stuck, uh, and they react if they feel confined or if they have to stay for a long time, perhaps in difficult or painful experiences or feelings. Some of the strengths of the seven in relationship is their spontaneity and enthusiasm, uh, optimism, and they have this fun loving quality, which if people were in the studio could watch on Dixon's (laughs) expression in this moment. Uh, They have a go-getter kind of energy and a mental quickness. They they are able to see patterns in things really beautifully. And they're also uh, adventuresome. Yeah, these two types have a relationship around their own wants, whereas Dixon, who leads with seven, can easily express what he wants. And Sarah, leading with type one, may know what she wants, but the image of I'm the responsible adult can get in the way of naming what you want. Mm -hmm. So be curious to hear how this might play out in the workplace relationship. So talk about a little bit about what works well for the two of you as you've worked together, given your type one and type seven. What are some things that you've noticed that, that work well? Well, one of the things that we had talked about um, was our, um, let's see, the, the kind of environment that we create to um, just bounce ideas off of each other. We, uh, we both have um, an interest in... Um, looking at things from a very expansive view. And um, Dixon has a real great gift for coming in and kind of saying, you know, here are some resources that we have here at church. What could we do? And what cool new thing could we do? Mm-hmm. And and there's just this wonderful dynamic, I think, that we have established in our working relationship to be able to have that creative space be very open and very flexible for what could the future look like? Um, and that's that's always just been so fun and so creative. Mm. Um, I'm usually the voice in the room that will say, okay, but then how is that going to work? Sure. <laughs> Let's work out the details of this big new idea. Who could we get to help us? Who would be the target audience? What, um, you know, what would we do when the resources run out? Mm-hmm. Those are the questions I'm often asking. Um, and Dixon will often chime in and be like, no, don't, let, you know. <laughs> don't, don't squash it down don't yet. Don't squash it down. There's so much more that we could do. So What Sarah says is absolutely true. Um, we are, she's really good to work with um, because as a seven, I am all about the big idea and what is possible and what is the thing that we're not thinking about yet that we could. In fact, um, Sometimes I don't like anything more than someone to come in and be like, well, this is just hopeless. We'll never come up with a new idea. And I'm like, oh, watch this. I'm going to reframe this thing. Um, however, at a certain point, you got to bring it down into the doability. And so um, I've worked with a lot of different types. Working with a one makes me particularly effective in that sevenness because it keeps me grounded. Mm-hmm. And there is a place where someone like Sarah can not just – not be like the killjoy. You kind of presented it like you're a killjoy and you're not. <laughs> you know, it's like you're the one that says, okay, that is cool. How would we actualize that over three years? And so then we're, we're spinning, you know, actual concrete steps. It's, it's kind of ironic. We came into the studio today and you said, you, we sent you the questions earlier. Um, 
you know, so you could think about you know what you wanted to say. And Sarah looks at me and is like, did you write any of that stuff down? And I did, and I have it here. Usually it's the opposite. That's a role reversal, yes. So we're really good, like, with her eye for detail and sense about structure and um, – and kind of, uh, you know, like you said, measured steps to a goal. Sevens and ones are really good um, together in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like to call the seven-one combination in the workplace the practical and the possible. Mm-hmm. And I will say that both uh, one, four, and seven are really idea-oriented. So, mm-hmm. Sarah, you and Dixon really can meet each other there. Mm-hmm. You tend to put legs on ideas. Yeah. Um, and I... You know, something I just thought of uh, that's not on the paper that we made notes on um, is the uh, gift that the seven brings to the one in being joyful. Um, Something that's really healthy for one is to have a sense of humor about Mm -hmm. the world and about um, even about herself um, and about uh, failings and um, things like that. And a seven encourages a one to, to laugh and to just have a good time and to not take things so seriously all the time. Mm. And that has just been a huge door opening in in a working relationship because, you know, I take my work so seriously. I take the church very seriously. And um, it's a real gift to be able to work with someone that has that kind of gift. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) There he goes. It's my pleasure to help you be better. (laughs) Mm, That just feeds right into the one, doesn't it? Mm. But this is what's kind of fun about Enneagram in the workplace is once... Once you become conversant in it and you're with people that understand their own type as well as yours, um, things that are the kind of shortcomings or the places where you could like have conflict or even resentments, they become non-issues because you can observe them and laugh at them. You can be like, oh, you're totally doing that thing again, Dixon, where you know X, Y, and Z. Or if, if I find myself getting frustrated by a limit, you know, someone... I'm excited about an idea moving forward and someone's like, well, how are we going to do that? Or here are my very valid criticisms sometimes to that course of action. And I don't want to hear them because I want to get it done. Um, I don't have to feel bad or ashamed or frustrated. I can actually stop and even say, okay, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling kind of limited and, and, you know, boundaried by that and I'm resenting it and I just want to name it. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be doing that. And the sensitivity to being limited that you named Dixon is, is a reactivity trigger for type seven, as you also named. And it's one that it's almost like whatever that is for us, we see it sometimes when it isn't there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, gosh, now I'm, I'm sensing this. Is it really, is that reality or is that my sensitivity? Yeah. I think I, we've even had conversations where I've come to you or the other members of the team and said, this is what I'm feeling. Is this legitimate? Oh, and, perfect. And what I mean, of course, is, of course, your feelings are legitimate, Dixon. But yeah, like, am I in a healthy place to be intuiting this in this space? Um, mm-hmm. That's great. It's great to have a trusting relationship where you can check that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Agreed. That is a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some other ways that you find, Sarah, a gift to your workplace relationship? And then, Sarah, I'll ask you the same. Um, In my position as the rector, and rector, if you don't know, the Episcopal Church is like the senior pastor, the kind of head person that's running things. I don't have time to get into the weeds or um, I can see like areas of the church or the system that aren't working, but I don't have the kind of bandwidth to go in and fix it. And so it's been such a great thing to have someone like Sarah that's a one um, tackling some of those things because you can say, 
this is something that needs to get addressed. Um, can you just like address it? And she can't. Like it's great. She'll go in and she'll find it and and not just critique it, but will come in and be like, "This is a thing that I've noticed isn't working. These are some of my ideas." Well, sevens are ready to run to the next thing, and ones really are good at evaluating. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. if you take evaluation seriously, they actually can be a point of departure into the next plan or the next idea. That's, That's right. great. Yeah. One of the things that Dixon really brings to not just our relationship, but to his relationships with all the staff is encouragement. And in a place where, um, you know, we have wonderful people and wonderful ministries that are happening. Um, and yet there, there are many times when we need encouragement. We need to be told that we're doing not just a good job, but what was specifically good about that job. Dixon just has a real gift for that. Um, and um, it's it makes the workplace incredibly joyful and incredibly, um, you know, people are not coming in to... The, and, you know, we've talked about churches as being emotional systems. People aren't coming into this emotional, emotional system um, expecting to get shot down or expecting disappointment um, because we have already established this kind of narrative on the staff that this is a place where we, we care for one another. And I even see people react to your uh, encouragement of, of them and pass it on to the next relationship that they have. I've seen that happen. Yeah, That's cool. for good sure. Good modeling. Yeah. It is. And, and it's, um, it's good reminders for us that, um, and especially me when, when I might devolve into some um, hypercritical mode, uh, that, that there is um, just such an importance in fostering relationships that are built on um, encouragement and, and love for one another. Mm So let's uh, let's shift because you know, uh, as uh, as a seven, we might sit here and talk about all the positive things. But let's talk about. <laughs> I, I don't see why we need to not do that. Right, Chris. I know, I understand. So, um, what are some aspects of your type that trip you up in your working relationship? So, talk about you, and what are some things that trip you up in that working relationship? First off, when Sarah first came to St. Paul's, she thought she was a six. And it's an interesting part of our dynamic and how we related for a long time. Um, but uh, the, her first Sunday where she was going to preach, she was nervous. And she gets up in the pulpit and she delivers a great sermon. She's a great preacher. Um, and so she got done and we're kind of after the service and we're sitting in the vestry talking. And I was like, that was fantastic. You know, and I was like, you, you didn't need like notes or to be nervous. Like you're so good. You could do this and that, and you didn't need to do this, um, this thing, because, um, you know, it felt like maybe that was too, you, you felt, you know, anxious about that and you didn't have to. And so I'm like bringing this, you know, what I believe to be the appreciative, um, kind of feedback to her about the insecurities that she may have been feeling. She didn't need to feel because man, you know, the, the skill set is clearly there. And the one interpreted all of it as criticism from the new boss and just <laughs> withered and shut down. And I can see it happening while I'm trying to encourage her. And so what do I do? 
I, why would if a little is good, then more is better, right? Which is the seven mantra. And so I, I'm like heaping on more and more, and it's getting worse and worse <laughs> and worse. And so later I realized that when you are dealing, when I'm dealing with a, um, someone who's a one and with Sarah, the way I offer encouragement really needs to be carefully framed because um, they're so, they always have that inner critical voice, the one does, that's telling them they're not good enough, not strong enough. So if I'm going to get in there and say something that's positive, I can't sound like that voice, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that definitely was a, a trip up kind of moment. But I mean, it, it also, I think is a good example of, of how the Enneagram has kind of, you know, opened up uh, possibilities within that to, you know, to talk about something that, you know, was at the time painful for me and now to be able to have a sense of humor about it and, and, and to, to learn from it, um, I think is, I mean, it's, it's, it's a real gift for sure. Um, um, what, what was, what was painful? Can you talk about that mm-hmm. just a little bit? Um, in that I, experience? Yeah. I, um, I think I was hearing Dixon, give criticism to something that was to me quite fragile, mm-hmm. um, which was my, my first chance to give the congregation a, a kind of taste of my preaching voice, um, which at this point in ministry, I'm, I've been ordained, I've been in ordained ministry for like 12 years. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's fairly established, you know, at this point. And I, I, I think there's, there's an element of, of pain in it, in that, um, there's, you know, always the kind of sense that, um, I might be doing it wrong. I might not be, um, perfect after all. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and also that I'm the, the sort of source of authority here. And, and this is something I've struggled with for all of my, my ministry in any time an authority figure tries to come in and sort of say, here's what I want you to do, or here's um, how you could do this better. And and I hear that not as constructive. Mm-hmm. I hear that as superseding and even trying to mentor me um, when I don't feel like I need a mentor at this stage in, in my life anymore. Yeah, I mean, you're pointing to, Sarah, the, the critical mind, the critical judge mm-hmm. inside. And uh, I always say to folks is that you we could never say anything to a one that they haven't already said to themselves tenfold. Right. And so, but there is this tendency to interpret, you know, what's coming from the outside um, mm-hmm. as critical. If It might be critical or it might not, mm-hmm. but that I hear the pain in that. Yeah, yeah, and, and that, you know, if the one is sometimes perceived as being hard on other people by being critical of other people, they're like 10 times more critical of themselves. Sure. So, sure. yeah. Which gives me compassion toward ones mm-hmm. often when I get critical stuff from them I'm always like it's okay they've said way worse stuff to themselves <laughs> you know like I need to <laughs> yeah it's all right yeah what's a good approach for you Sarah so when something needs to be said or Dixon wants to give some feedback how is it best to approach given this inner critic I once heard someone say that, you know, criticism has to be delivered kind of like a hamburger (laughs) where you have kind of the nice soft bun on one side and then the meat of what you have to say in the middle and then the nice soft bun on the other side. So that to sort of enclose it with care and with, um, uh, you know, 
I, I, compliments or or a, mm-hmm. a sense of you know you're doing great you're doing a great job here um and by the way here's this one thing that needs to be tinkered mm-hmm. with or needs attention um and then ending it with you know so that there's there's some sense of um the relationship is still intact because the one is always worried that they're you know their their inner fear is that they're defective or that they are um, bad in some way. Right, and and I've heard from other ones, in particular to the type, who say, "Ask me a question. If if you think I've done something wrong, ask me. Lead with a question." Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that would be helpful to you. Mm-hmm. Did you mean? This? Sure, sure. Is this where you were coming from? Yeah. Right. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, how is it that you, Dixon? Uh, how do you catch yourself when your enthusiasm is high? And we know sevens do a lot of positive reframing. Uh, how do you catch yourself or what tells you when you've gone a little over the top and you've got to come back down to kind of a grounded joy? I think that it's definitely a cultivated inner life that recognizes that I'm trying to get away from something by doing it. So I'm definitely like resonate with the pain avoidance motivation that drives my type. And, um, you know, what, what I'm trying to do often if I'm, if I've gone too far with, um, like I'm getting manic in my enthusiasm, Mm -hmm. um, or, um, I'm, or even if I'm like resentful of um, a limit boundary or someone sort of suggesting that I shouldn't flee from something um, that is pleasurable, or oh my gosh, or if um, if I have in my mind that there's going to be this great thing and I'm like preparing for it and it's becoming the carrot that's pulling me through difficult stuff, and then someone takes the carrot away. Well, we don't really have time to watch that movie. Hmm. Um, we're we're actually not going to be able to do that trip or that um, have that experience. Oh my gosh, the dark resentment that brews and emerges in me. And so, it's it's taken time to be able to start naming it and um, know in my heart. Okay, th- I I kind of have, have started to learn how it feels to go too far. Um, I'm like, oh, that's I can tell. You know, you kind of catch yourself out of the corner of your eye. I can tell in this instance um, that I'm I'm pushing this to an unhealthy level. Um, I need to back off. What tells you that? How do you know? Don't ask me to define it. Okay, so I think <laughs> what are the what are the clues in yourself or outside yeah. yourself? One of the clues is that a critical voice starts to emerge in me that is selfish and angry and resentful um that is thinking if i don't you know get to have this thing that's bringing me pleasure at this point i'm going it's going to blow up like the godfather um if i don't um if i'm not able to um transcend this limit that you're putting on me i'm it's i'm going to get nasty mm-hmm. i will be rude to you mm-hmm. Um, those are that they, it, it's the emergence of the critical and the negative that usually starts to show me, okay, wait a minute, that's too much. 
It's always interested me, and Chris, I don't know if you find this to be true in doing personality assessments, but sevens have a pretty strong inner critic as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the questions at the end I'll ask is, how are you your own worst enemy, and how are you your own best friend? And mm-hmm. I'd say 90% of the time, sevens respond with, I'm really self-critical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're speaking to that some, Dixon. Or um, uh, inflating, self-inflating. Right. You know, sure. We, we seven, I, at least I vacillate. Um, mm. You know, this is why I kind of am better than so and so. And then when you realize you're not, <laughs> you crash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not that I am positive and the opposite, I am negative. It's simply I am. Bingo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sarah, what about your type trips you up in the workplace? Figuring out um, when is it time to speak up about something that's bothering me and when is it time to just kind of be at peace with it and to kind of relax into a sense of serenity of it's all going to be okay. Um, That's really hard for me to do and I I have to do the work of slowing down enough and and looking at a situation um, or a relationship and... um, allowing myself to see it is all going to be okay and this relationship will all be okay Um, and maybe I don't need to be the actor here maybe I don't need to be the one to fix all the time Um, and it's usually in those situations that um, I think I think in any workplace we get uh, tripped up with this sense of um, urgency with I just have to get the task done. I just have to get the event planned or or whatever. And so when I am in that role, um, if I don't slow down, then I'm probably going to make someone mad. <laughs> and <laughs> um, and and yeah, and and that's something that um, definitely trips me up. So yeah, types one, three, and eight are the task oriented types. Right. And so we go after the task. There is, I'm learning as a task type, when I get that sense of urgency, that right there is a really nice opportunity for my growth. Mm. So what is driving my sense of urgency? Mm -hmm. What is that urgency about? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just continue to ask that question when I'm really in my certainty of wanting to get that done and Mm -hmm. ones have that too let's complete the task Mm -hmm. and what if we just go to the art museum instead and finish it later right yeah right yeah the other thing that came up for me is this idea of you were talking about how you know everything's going to be okay and the word that comes up for me around one is this idea of acceptance Mm -hmm. so not that it's going to be okay Mm. but that it is it's just seeing what is Mm -hmm. in its perfection slash imperfection, whatever it is, and just accepting it as it is. Mm-hmm. I think that's a place of serenity, to use that word, a place mm-hmm. of just, it just is. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. that a place that you are able to touch very often? I, I Occasionally, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm smiling because um, I'm thinking of um, my friend Craig, who is a um, um, psychotherapist and, um, he and I used to carpool together when we lived in Spartanburg. Um, and, um, 
I, I was working in a nonprofit that was struggling at the time and um, I'd frequently get in the car to go home and start crying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Craig um, was just so wonderful to sort of listen to what, what I was processing. And he said, you know, Sarah, there's, there's a couple of things that I just always have to say. And I always say this to my clients, you know, we're all bozos on this bus. Mm. And two, um, I'm not okay and you're not okay, but it's okay. And these, you know, just little sentences are, they sound a little pithy to say out loud right now, but like they opened a huge door for me and, mm. and really helped me to kind of think about accepting an impossible situation mm. and accepting a lot of flaws in some very hurting people that I was working with at the time. Um, and yeah, that, that's definitely something that I'm working on tapping into more often. Um, mm. but it. It takes work. It, mm. it is where it, it doesn't take work for, for other folks. It does for me. So we've touched some on um, strategies and practices that uh, you can each engage in to, to, as you notice some of the things that trip you up coming up in your work relationship. But what are some others practices, strategies that you engage in as you notice it happening in your work relationship? Um, my type was very much attuned to, hey, let's keep it positive, you know? And I was very much about bringing energy in and, hey, let's hang out. And and there was sometimes a sense of anxiety that, like, if I'm hanging out with this person, it's like a 50-50 shot, it's going to go negative. And, oh, man, and maybe... What if the negative's about me? Oh, that's going to be hard to have to... That's not what I'm going to this party for. That's not what I'm going to this meeting to think about. And so it was something that when I figured out that dynamic existed in the continuum of the Enneagram and that dynamic, I could not be afraid of that. I could say, oh, if if that happens, um, that's not about me. That's not about um, uh, something that I have done wrong or that won't become some sort of unpleasant thing I can't escape from. Uh, what that's going to be is something we work on together, and I'll be all right with that. And I get a little objective about it, can step back a touch. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been a really helpful strategy. You know, you have a type that desires to be mirrored positively, hmm. and that's what you're talking about. So who are you, and how do you stay consistent when the other is not mirroring you with positivity? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bingo. Yeah. You know, the, the projection of seven is, I'm okay, you're okay. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm not okay. Yeah. So yeah. what are we going to do about this? That's right. Um, so do I have to change so that you can be happy and go your merry way? Or can we be real? Yes, yes. It's neither positive nor negative. But what, what happens when the seven isn't mirrored in a positive way? And so it could be a real downer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think, and that's the place that... It was so freeing for me was realizing I didn't have to make it better for everybody. In thinking a little bit about strategies that work well in in this relationship between a one and a seven, um, the word that comes to mind for me is appreciation. And I I have a story about this. Um, So um, last year, um, well, to back up, uh, the the clergy team at our church is made up of four full-time people, um, me and Dixon and 
Darby and John. The dynamic between all of these different types is just so great. And Darby is often our uh, details person when it comes to the, the liturgies that we do on Sunday mornings. And um, she went on sabbatical. <laughs> and um, it meant that when it came to how the Sunday morning service was going to run, that somebody needed to be kind of a details person. And um, often I didn't always want to be that person because I didn't always know the details and I didn't want to do it imperfectly. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> and um, and and really it's just sort of rotated around to whomever was around to answer questions. And at one point... There was a Sunday morning when um, I had to go and handle some of those details, maybe go set up the altar, and some of the altar guild ladies had questions for me about something. And um, it was all kind of unresolved and messy. And I came back over to, to the sacristy, the little room where we put on our robes, and Dixon and John were in there, and um, they had both started singing. <laughs> um, and they were singing um, Stand By Me. Um, <laughs> And kind of like, you know, step touching and dancing around a little bit. And I could have come into that situation and just been like, guys, what are you doing? Why are you goofing off? We have a service to go put together. We, we need to, you know, get all these details organized. And um, instead, I just sort of took a step back and just started laughing and mm-hmm. just appreciated that um, Dixon and John, who is also a seven, we're just having a good time and just getting ready for worship and just bringing their joy into a space that, that is sometimes very chaotic and sometimes has a lot of feelings that uh, can't always be good. And they were just there to, to praise God and to have fun. Mm. And, um, and, I, and I just need that moment of appreciation sometimes because there is such a balance between figuring out um, you know, loving people and being with people and all of their joy and their celebration and, um, and their sorrow and um, all of their complicated feelings. And then also having tasks to do mm-hmm. that, that require, um, you know, some attention to detail. Um, and if I don't appreciate the difference between the two, then it, it just wouldn't be um, a symbiotic relationship, I think. That's a great story. What comes up is, is what in that moment when you walked in the sacristy and saw them singing and there's a part of you that would have been like, come on guys. And there's another part of you that shifted though. And you, you laughed and appreciated what, what helped that part of you go to that place of appreciation? I think it was a letting go. Mm. It was a sense of, there was just something that clicked in me that just sort of let go of whatever it was that, that I was trying to manage and, was able to fully see and fully appreciate my colleagues having a good time. Mm. And I think I even came in there and started singing with you guys. <laughs> like it was, it was so fun. That's I what I was that. thinking was allow, it, it was like you allowed yourself to have mm-hmm. a good time, allowed yourself right. to engage in that joyful mm-hmm. praise. Yeah. And in that moment, as David Daniels would say, it was enlightenment on the hoof, just in the moment right yep. there. You were free. Mm-hmm. Well, I want us to uh, reflect as we're talking about this about ways that you can encourage your relationship, work relationship to flourish? What are some things that you might do? Another way to ask that question is, what's your invitation to grow? 
um, as type one, as type seven in this work relationship? I would say continued mindfulness of, of everything that we've talked about here today, you know, um, slowing down appreciation, um, some of these strategies, but continued mindfulness of how this dynamic works and, and doing our own inner work mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, so Dixon has brought the Enneagram to the whole church staff, which is made up of about what, 20, 25 people. Yeah, something like that. And, um, we have monthly lunches where we all explore our different types. And so the Enneagram is, is part of our office vernacular all the time. And, um, you know, there's a temptation in, in working with the Enneagram to sort of see it as um, fortune telling or mm-hmm. as like figuring out another person. It's never about you. It's always that other person that I'm <laughs> totally figured out. Um, and really the invitation, I think, is to continue to do your inner work and getting in touch with, um, wow, I reacted to this situation um, unexpectedly. What's going on with me? That's that curious mind. Yeah. It's like getting curious. What, what, what just happened? Huh. Right. What about you, Dixon? I think between the two of us, at least, like the seven and the one type, um, the mindfulness also has to be about um, not going too far down the criticism rabbit hole. Because um, we have noticed, like, we will tap into um, something that maybe we agree about that isn't right, and then we'll just start spinning, start Mm -hmm. spinning, start spinning. And Sometimes one of us has to be like, we should probably stop this. <laughs> We've gone too far. <laughs> this isn't good for my piety anymore. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that's been something that uh, we've recognized and sort of made part of our conversation together. You know, all right, shut it down. You know, mm-hmm. We've got work to do um, or whatever. So uh, I think that's been a helpful thing. What about for you personally? I mean, personally, uh, like the strategy. In terms of growth, like what's your invitation Mm -hmm. to grow? My invitation to grow is that um, there is enough. There is enough. Like that, man, is the mantra. Because I have these glimpses of it when you're, I'm with people and it's a really hard situation and, like particularly if there's been a death and it's been tragic or there's a lot of pain in the room and I'm there and I can tell like I'm given love and it's being received and it's working and I'm like, I am tapped into something that is way bigger than my capacity to give this right now. And uh, that can source everything and because there's enough. Um, and so as that expands in my life, it's not just in situations where there's pain and um, I would be tempted to run from it, but I can engage it and give in that moment. It's also in my own anxiety and my own um, grief, you know, like not free, uh, uh, fleeing grief, not fleeing the unpleasant, um, not trying to say, God, you know, I can just get excited about something in the future or my peace is somewhere else, but recognizing, oh, no, there's there's enough. My peace is actually right here. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not in a distant future. It's not on a, a hill where the grass is greener. Mm-hmm. It's in this moment, which actually is a moment that might be filled with pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that is, um, constantly on my mind and I have to be so aware of, but, um, oh man, like when you, when you hit it, it's you you realize, Oh, 
everything's okay. Mm. You know, like mm. there's those moments of just grace and serenity and, you know, you start sounding like the mystics when you try to describe it because you're like, I don't really have words for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. It strikes me too, Dixon, as you say that, that what might be, Sarah, what you might say as well, which is everything's okay. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a connection point in terms of growth, mm-hmm. which is that acceptance. I sort of seeing what is here in front of me. I mean, all of us, all of our paths is to be more present, of course, but particularly for your types, it's like seeing what's here and I've got what I need. It's all okay right here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and scarcity is an issue for type seven. Um, And we don't hear enough about that, but it's, it's in there in the structure, fear of not having enough time, fear of not being stimulated enough. Uh, so thank you for bringing that forward because when you're in the moment as you were in that situation, Dixon, it's all there. All the freedom, all the stimulation, all the presence I need with source, as you said. You're, you're so right, the scarcity thing. And sometimes I'm running, I think early in my life, I was running so fast to avoid that possibility. I didn't even realize that's what I was running from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought it was something else. Mm-hmm. And sevens oftentimes will base their worth on how many new adventures or new learnings and to know that I don't have to engage those but can stay right here and be worthy right now. It's so good. It's so It's good. so not easy, <laughs> but it's so worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. I want to name... Um, just just kind of in the present moment of the, how the tone has shifted in our conversation in the last 40 minutes. Have you noticed this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Any awareness, any thoughts about that? I think we, like all of us, are talking about deeper heart things. Like there's a, a sense of transparency and um, disclosure of the inner life that happened. Mm. We're not talking about the workplace. We're not talking about stories about when I said something that was mean. We're talking about... Um, the kind of deepest parts of ourselves. And there's like a reception of that mm-hmm. by the other three that mm-hmm. are in the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like sacred. It, it's some holy space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'm just deeply appreciative of this conversation with you all. It, it's difficult to speak into a microphone and to tell stories of your heart. Um, and yeah. it does feel like um, that shift in this conversation I have witnessed happen when we talk about the Enneagram and when when we're doing work with it on staff that like there's always this kind of shift of um people opening up Mm. and seeing it as beyond just um a type that i'm supposed to conform to or fit into and more of here's a way i can tell my story and that feels really authentic to me it can be a a validation as you were saying sarah Mm -hmm. and also um we find it's how we limit ourselves So to know what my patterns are so that I can step outside this comfort zone and become new and grow myself more whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to conclude this conversation, wanted to offer a quote from Pima Chodron about this. She says, to be fully alive, fully human, and completely awake is to be continually thrown out of the nest, hmm. the nest of our comfort. So thank you both. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. So with heartfelt gratitude, I'm Chris. And I'm Sandra. And we invite you to continue to look courageously and lovingly at what is. 
We want to thank all who've made this podcast a reality, including Wake Forest University School of Divinity for their financial and institutional support. For Sally Ann Morris, who composed our theme music, and for Toby Becker, who provided graphic design. Thanks to Eric Merle for his editing expertise, to Tom and Lynn Berner, who provided recording space, and to the narrative Enneagram and our mentors, Helen Palmer and Dr. David Daniels, its founders, and special thanks to all of our guests. We offer this podcast as a free resource for personal and spiritual growth, and in order to continue this work, we need your support. Please visit our website, heartoftheenneagram.com, to make a contribution and to purchase our companion book. In the days that lie ahead, may your mind be curious, your heart courageous, and your presence compassionate.